Hello, fortune seekers. On today's podcast, Danny and I are going to be getting into the story of the making of X, Seekers of Fortune. So if you like watching games, playing games, or making games, you're going to want to stick around. So, I'm your host, Joel Watts, and joining me today is the co-creator of X-Seekers of Fortune and the co-founder of Megamoth Studios, my creative partner, Daniel Ayub. Hey, Danny, how are you doing today? Hey there, partner. I'm doing quite well today. Very excited to be on the phone with you today with my new improved energy. <laughs> yes, we have been told to bring up the energy, so I'm reaching deep down inside of me and just pulling it up. Dig within, but, brother! Dig within! <laughs> dig within. Yes, we have. We must. We must. That's the name of uh, one of the abilities in our game. But we're going to be getting more into that, dig within, and the other abilities. But first, I got the question of the week for you, Danny. Ooh, I like questions. I like weeks. Go for okay. it. All right, Danny. So I figure this one will endear us at least to our core demographic, which is millennials. If you were a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, which of the four Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles would you be? Why is this the question I've been waiting to be asked all my life? Why is this the question I've been waiting to be asked all my life? Ooh, good one, good one. Let's see, let's see. Um, okay, this is, this is kind of easy. I yeah. would say I identify with Donatello. And Danny, I, I prepped you on this question. I told you not to tell me. And at the moment that I prepped you on the question, I said, I am going to write down which Ninja Turtle I thought you were. You can see I've done no writing. And Danny says, Donatello. For the what? other camera, I don't know if you can see that other camera. Danny says, Donatello. I knew it. I knew my friend very well. And I knew he was a Donatello guy, which is, which is appropriate because I'm... I mean, while I'd like to believe I'm a Leonardo, there is definitely a Michelangelo w waiting inside of me. I'm much more, I'm a little too loosey-goosey to be a full-blown Leonardo, and I do enjoy a party. Now, I might be a Michelangelo who's getting a little older, and like, you know, if it's, if it's too loud, turn it down. But that's definitely my Ninja Turtles, Michelangelo. So you identify with Donatello, what, because he's uh, a nerd? I think he's just like, you know, like he's very much in his head. He approaches things from mm -hmm. a, a heady standpoint and you know i just relate to that he was never the one who was the the most flashy um but he was a contributor he was a solid contributor and uh, you know i view myself very much the same way as yeah. for my prediction of how you would answer that question i didn't write it down but i thought you would aspire to be a leonardo you're mostly a michelangelo but on a bad day you're a Raphael. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, i i just take up the other quadrants of the ninja turtle sphere but, okay but hold on hold on i have one more prediction yeah. and you're gonna have to confirm or deny it and i don't want you to lie this needs to be a very very honest answer okay okay did you or did you not have a bizarre infatuation did you or did you not have a bizarre infatuation with casey jones a bizarre. Uh, I thought you were going to say April O'Neil, and I was going to be like, "Well, you, have you seen my girlfriend?" Uh, <laughs> uh, Casey Joe, you know, I, I respected Casey, but I never like thought of myself like I, I. If I ever put on a hockey mask, I was pretending to be Jason Voorhees, not Casey Jones. Does that I, answer that question? Yeah, it's a little disappointing. For some reason, I just I got the vibe that Casey Jones would have been someone that you just really, really admired. I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> I think I admired him as a friend. I mean, I would rather watch 
as an adult, I would rather watch the Raphael Casey Jones team up movie over like just the Ninja Turtles by themselves. I'd like to see like the Raphael's out for revenge movie with Casey Jones and they're, you know, going, you know, they're, they're all no holds barred. They're getting bloody kind of movie. Okay. All right, Danny. So, uh, great talk about the Ninja Turtles, but let's go ahead and jump into today's topic. And we want to start, uh, start this podcast off right by letting laying the foundation and the groundwork for all topics we're going to be covering in the future. And then to do that, we think it's pertinent that we express and tell the story of the making of X, Seekers of Fortune, from its inception up until the point that, uh, that we got up to last week, which was uh, our uh, debut at Comic Palooza. Uh, today, we're not going to be going all the way there, but we are going to start with the inception of the story all the way up until like we first started playtesting it for our friends. Um, so, Danny, uh, let's go ahead and start at the very beginning, which is, I woke up one day to find a text message from you saying, hey, buddy, I got a game idea. Why don't you give me a call so we can talk about it? And I will say that I've woken up to those sorts of texts a lot, but they usually have something to do with a short or a feature film because we come from a filmmaking background. We're always trying to think of a really clever story to tell, you know, something that's worth spending a few years of our lives and a few million dollars to, you know, work on. A game, though, that was a little interesting to me. I know you had had the idea of designing a game. Uh, you had always shown interest in designing games before, but you had never actually come to me with a game idea. So why don't you tell me how this game idea came to you and you know what was the very basics that you came to me uh on that call with yeah so i mean this whole this whole game came to me just one night while i was laying in bed uh putting my youngest son to sleep he was tossing and turning as as four-year-olds like to do and i uh i just uh got my mind adrifting and i started thinking about about um you know, what kind of game, if I could create a game, what kind of game would I want to make? And, you know, I, it's no secret. I love magic and, you know, I've always wanted to share magic with more people. So I started thinking about a game that maybe, uh, would be magic like, uh, but more accessible to Mm -hmm. more people. And so I feverishly, uh, constructed a text message to you and kind of outlined the basics of a game that I called Lost Arts in which, uh, mages, living in a world, aspiring mages, living in a world where magic no longer was accessible, uh, sought lost relics and runes to uh, uncover this uh, knowledge of the past that was gone. And and so I, I think I devised a system of what we now think of as leads, used to be called runes. These were resource cards paired with quests, uh, which were actually, I think they were actually spells maybe even in that very first message and uh, you mm-hmm. had to find the right runes to cast a spell and the first person to cast five spells won the game uh, yes. and i think what there was also the the idea of these bounty cards right this idea that you casted a spell and you got an effect uh as a result uh and and i think that was more or less you know the contents of the message Do you remember that differently or uh, I think some of those concepts might have come down the line a little bit later, but I, I mean, they were definitely in our initial conversations. What I remember was, though, the idea of you, you matching runes together in order to cast spells, and the first person to cast five spells wins. That was definitely in, there in the core of that first message, because I do remember this 
debate I had in my head of how many decks does this game have to be? Because, you know, at the time I was blushing at the idea of it being three different decks. And I, I know that that came early. Now, um, if I remember correctly, you sent me a design document. I forget if you had written it that night or if you, if we had a conversation and then you sat down to hash it out to give us something more to talk about. But uh, I, all I remember is that you actually went out of your way to find special characters to create the runes. Uh, you know, I, I remember that striking me. In fact, that might have been like one of those things that I was able to bite into, you know, uh, early on because you had because uh, it was as though you had written it in a foreign language. I, I, I think you actually did, didn't you? Yeah, actually, I, I just uh, flipped my keyboard over to Sanskrit and just <laughs> chose the coolest looking Sanskrit character. So. Uh, but... I do recall, so we had that initial conversation, and um, to give a little bit of my background here and maybe why you came to me, uh, a few years, over the past, I would say it's going on a decade, I was had an on-again, off-again relationship with a game called Cuddle, and this is a an nearly ancient, from the 1970s, uh, <laughs> card game uh, that was played with a regular deck of cards, but if you okay, if you look at the rules, and uh, someday we're going to have a cuddle episode where I just explain cuddle to you, and you you know maybe uh, sit there with a slack jaw, but uh, the way that cuddle works is you play it with a regular set of cards, but each number card and each face card has a special ability, and these special abilities can do things uh, like clear the board or uh, you know like stop your opponent's special ability from going off to protecting the other cards. Um, so when I saw this, I think a lot of, uh, I saw it on some maybe Magic the Gathering subreddit is where I first got clued into it and I looked further into it and I had to, you know, if I ever get a chance to meet Richard Garfield, which I'm planning on at this point in my life, I am going to ask him off the record, were you inspired by Cuddle? Was Cuddle the origin of Magic the Gathering when you started developing it? Absolutely. I, I, I was aware of your, um, your interest in designing games and, and the work you had done on Cuddle, you had kind of talked to me about about it over the years. Um, and and as I got it, as I got interested in in exploring the idea of game design, I always knew when I had an idea that I thought was good enough, you would be the person I brought it to because I knew that this was something that um, might uh, have a, a an overlap of interest between us. Yeah, so, well, let's get into the hard work and, like, those initial steps that we took that, uh, if you're watching this at home, you might want to follow along with these steps because they, fortunately for us, were the most productive steps that we could have taken in order to get to where we're at. So, you know, to recap, we had the runes, which, you know, today we call leads, and we had quests, which today we call adventures, and the earliest version of what we now call Action X cards used to be called Bounty Cards. And the bounty cards uh, were made up of two card types, not the three that we know today as feats, relics, and sites. Uh, in the original game of Lost Arts, we had bounties with two types, and those were boons instead of feats, and relics instead of relics and sites. And the idea was, hey, okay, let, let's figure this out. We need 10 of them to, to test the first prototype. Why don't we each make five cards and, and figure out, you know, what, what we've got in front of us uh, at that point, you know, and, and tell me, Joel, if you, if you, you feel differently, but I, I was like, okay, I, you know, I, I can come up with five cards. I don't know how much design space there is in this game, but um, 
yeah, let's let's see what we can come up with and, and throw them together and see if we at least have a, a, a working prototype that we can iterate off of. Yeah, you 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 that was like that felt like the first piece of homework. I, I mentioned those other things that we solved for, but it felt like I was just um you know, you had already come up with the idea and all I had to do was actualize it, which didn't feel like homework. But you telling me, hey, Joel, come up with five of these spell like cards and, you know, I'll do five as well. And I that was the first time I felt like, OK, all right, I got to get this done, you know, and this is early on in the process. At this point, I, I, I uh, do I try to do at least one thing a day for the game. Uh, but back then, you know, it's like, oh, I got to go to work and do laundry and, you know, uh, have a date with my girlfriend. When am I going to find time for this? And I think one of the first, you know, like this is actually going to work is when I sat down and I kind of dreaded this assignment because I'll, I'll confess to the audience. I've while I would I have toyed around with game design and iterated on cuddle. I was never much of a magic card designer. Like a lot of people, when they get introduced to magic, they instantly, their creative side goes off and they want to design a magic card. And I think I always have felt like I wanted to design to design magic, not the magic cards themselves, which it sounds silly, but the backbone of the game, like what you came up with, uh, you know, the mana system of magic, you know, that's what interested me. So when I actually had to sit down and make these cards, I was at first kind of scared because I, I just did not know like you know like you have to create something out of nothing and but I, I think it only took me 20 minutes to write out five or six rough ideas for cards that got I that we then implemented into the game yes uh, five or six order. extremely broken cards <laughs> yeah I will say I, I think I think if if there was a scoreboard I'm the one with the most broken cards on the scoreboard so far yeah, I would say like most every card that's extremely broken uh, started with you, um, and then we've we've I think we've we've tuned them all, uh, at least to where like a lot of them are powerful, but I don't I don't know that there's anything I would straight up call broken anymore. Uh, yeah, and I think we're going to have a future episode where we uh, go over those initial like you know early early card designs and um, kind of like trace them through the iterations that we made yeah. uh, to them. That's that's already going to be an episode. But yeah, I, I do recall workers' tools. There were there were um, we'll get into it here in a bit. But there were cards that I wrote that event that after the first play session we were like, well, that should just be the rule. That should just be how the game works. We'll get into that here in a moment. Let's yep. talk, though, now about solving probably the biggest problem we have. Danny, you live in Houston. Yeah. And I live in Austin. Yep. Now, those are two and a half hours away from each other, and that's not insurmountable. But to play the game frequently, we knew that we couldn't. We had to figure out a digital solution for the game. And uh, we went to the internet and pretty quickly found a website called Tabletopia. You know, Tabletopia, I mean, this, is, this was huge. And when we sat down and we started talking about playing this game, uh, actually trying to make this game, one of the things that, you know, to your point that we, we came up against right away is how, how the heck are we ever going to play test this? You know, we're not going to travel back and forth. The game's never going to get made. We have to find a way to test it online. And you found Tabletopia mm -hmm. and you put in the work and you built the demo very, very quick, the prototype very, very quick. And mm -hmm. then there we were playing the game. And, and I remember the first time we sat down to play the very first game, you know, I think we were both holding our breath and saying, is this a game or is this just a bunch of cards that we're gonna be like, oh, okay, well, none of this stuff goes together. Mm -hmm. um, and then we played our first game. Yeah, 
And that was, I mean, I'm not going to lie and say we knew instantly that we had the thing. We didn't have that for months, that feeling that, oh, we got something special here. But what we did know is that we kicked the tires and we got in the car and drove it down the road. And you know what? It didn't blow up. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Joel, because, you know, if you're a game designer right now and you're listening to this podcast and you're, you have an idea for a game and you look at X Seekers of Fortune and you say, hey, I'm, I think that was a pretty good game. Um, you know, I want to make a game uh, that I think is really good. And you start making your first prototype and it doesn't play like, you know, X Seekers of Fortune or something. Just know X Seekers of Fortune in the beginning did not play anything like X Seekers of Fortune. We spent a lot of time iterating on the game saying, is this game ever going to be good? <laughs> you know, like at the initial prototype step, which I think this is what you were saying, Joel, is we played it and we said, it's functional. This is a functional game. Is it fun? Kind of. It's not not fun, but mm -hmm. it's it's missing a lot of things to really be fun and interesting and worth playing a bunch. And, you know, for me, one of my goals from the very beginning was to, to make a game worthy of competitive play. And it was nowhere near that. But we knew we had a framework to iterate on. And we knew, I think, that we needed more feedback to figure out what the next steps were. Yeah, and we're going to get that uh, get that here in a second uh, on our road our, our road to Damascus, if you will, here. But I just wanted to say, if you're uh, if you're a game maker watching us right now, and you're wondering when will my game feel like it, I should actually put money into this, because that is a huge breaking factor of uh, of like changing it from something fun you're doing in a creative project to being actually like livelihood changing mm -hmm. and it could change your livelihood in two directions and <laughs> uh so uh, what uh, there's a factor that danny you had uh coined i think you said a sticky factor the factor of like yeah. i uh, this game is fun enough where i want to keep coming back and playing it or there's an audience out there who keeps wanting to come back and play it and just know uh like teaser slash spoiler we're probably not going to say that the game has accomplished its sticky factor until like the third part of this series. So just yeah. keep that in mind. As we're going on, we're still not making a game that we can earnestly say um, that we we personally love yet. This is still very much in the baking, uh, baking in the oven. And that's what uh, uh, I think what we're getting to is we have this game, I think we did a few other iterate, iterative um, changes to it, and it, it's going to be hard uh, since we didn't like take the most thorough notes and record every conversation along the way. I can't remember all the little details between uh, our first play test and when we showed it to other people, but I do know that we did design more, uh, more of the bounty slash spell cards and you know tuned up a couple of things uh, and changed some of the core rules of how the game played. But we did know in those first few weeks of doing all this work that we needed to get outside people to tell us uh, what they thought of the game because we, we thought we, we, we thought we had something, but we, we didn't know one way or the other what we had. Yeah. I think, I think when you're, you're at that point, you know, where it's early on, it's your first game that you're building whole cloth. You say to yourself, okay, this sort of works, but would anyone else think that? Or is this just me deluding myself into thinking that I've got the mm -hmm. beginning of something here? Um, and that's when, you know, to your, to your, to, 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 to what you just said, you know, 
so that's when we said, okay, you know, time, time to, time to go external and, and see what other people think of this mm-hmm. for the first time. Yeah, exactly. So we reached out to uh, two folks who hopefully we'll be able to talk more about uh, or, you know, speak more to later. Uh, but uh, one of the people that we reached out to was our old Match of the Gathering buddy, Patrick Mankins, who we go back over a decade, I believe, uh, back to when all three of us were working at the same job at Central Market Cafe here in Austin, Texas. Yep. Um, so we brought him in and we brought my brother Nathan in. And Nathan, I... I passed the magic disease on to him pretty early. Um, but we got both of those two together to agree to a Saturday afternoon play test. And all of us got on the horn with each other and we just let them at it. And um, how do you think, uh, do you remember how they reacted and uh, some of the things we learned along the way from listening to their feedback and watching them play the game? Yeah, no, I mean, that first play test was super instructive. And, and, and the thing that to me really stood out was like, it was clear that like, they seemed like they were playing a real game. And, and that was the big question we had for them was, does this feel like a game? Or does it feel like, you know, we're asking you to do a bunch of disjointed actions? Um, and they both agreed, no, this feels like a game and it's kind of fun. But the biggest thing is it feels like it's on rails. It feels like you're kind of playing solitaire together and just kind of, you know, seeing who, who wins that solitaire first. Um, the game's biggest problem at that stage was that it was lacking player agency. Um, and the second note that they had was, you know, really to deal with completing quests. At that time, you know, we still had three cost, four cost and five cost quests. And our idea was, okay, fives are the most common. Uh, but you get a four and you're excited and a three you're excited just because they're easier to solve. But no matter what, you're always drawing the same amount of cards. I think they all drew you two leads and an action X card or at that time a bounty card. And obviously they were not leads at that time. They were runes. It took me forever to start saying leads and action X cards. And now it's (laughs) hard for me to stop saying it. But um, they said, hey, you know, these, these are not all equally... Um, easy to do, you should scale the rewards. And and looking back at it now in retrospect, it's kind of like a big duh, like, yeah, of course, like there should be better rewards for harder things. But at the time, you know, we weren't thinking about it from that perspective. And, and Patrick and Nathan brought that to us. And I think we agreed to implement it about five seconds after the call ended. Uh, you know, we did our, our postmortem and we said, what about that scaling idea? That's a, that's a green light, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a green light. We're definitely doing that. Um, but the player agency question, that was really, really, um, the big takeaway. That's what we knew we needed to solve to make anything that approached the game that we knew we wanted to make. They really quickly identified those as being maybe the weakest points of the game, um, and I, yeah, to go back to the, the scaling of the rewards for completing adventures or quests, those two words are so similar that we could have probably just interchanged them, but well, you know, we got to be specific. This, they were quests at the time. It was, it, it, I will say that we came up with such a decent, such a good solution for the quest rewards that I, I'm almost worried that there's an even better solution that we're afraid to touch because we have such a good solution in front of us. And you know what they say, don't let, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Is that what they say? I think don't, yeah, something to that extent, like uh, don't let, yeah. let good be the enemy of great or something like that. 
Again, this is not something that I... uh, I know what you're saying. I don't remember Mm -hmm. word for... (laughs) Well, let's move off of that. But let's just say that... We have a we we came quickly up with a solution that worked so well that we almost haven't, you know, it it's, it, it, it kind of comes across as like the whims like the, the the support beam that we question if we should even touch because it's doing its job well, and if we touch it, it could actually make everything above it fall down. But, yeah, when things work well enough, sometimes you stop looking. When maybe if you looked a little farther, there's a better solution. This is one area where that might be true of of this game. Mm-hmm. But the fact that we came up with something so quick that works so well uh, shows that there's it probably is at least on the road to the right balance. But essentially, we decided five, uh, what three cost quests would get you no uh, runes and one action X card. Four cost quests would get you one rune and one action X card. And the five costs, since they're so hard to complete, are actually going to be the most beneficial, where they would get you three, uh, uh, three runes or leads. And, a, and an action X card. So that that was like the solution. We can't, I, I don't remember, who knows whose mouth it came out of. It just seemed like it worked I and we implemented it. And within the next, you know, few play tests, it just seemed like it was always meant to be. But the player agency, now that, that's going to be a, a, a tale that is going to carry us through through the next episode because slowly and surely over the matter of months, we identified places where the game felt weak or felt um, uh, like there it was lacking fun. And yeah. that's when we started implementing the player agency. Because specifically, I, I, for, I believe it was Patrick who suggested that the game right as it was when we presented it to him felt like a, a ride, like a roller coaster. Yeah. You didn't have control over what the game was. You were just along for the ride. Whatever came into your hand was what you could do, and you did it. There was almost no strategy, and yeah. so we did. We made we made changes along the way to where I would argue that there are so many decision points to make in our game that it it, it can feel sometimes overwhelming. Uh, well, it can sometimes feel like you don't know when you made the bat uh, the the misplay that cost you the game going over your plays in the game and what you could have done at any given turn and what you did do is there's so many uh, fracturing points now of decision-making that for somebody to really narrow it in as to the one mistake they made that cost them the game or, or the one great play they made that won them the game, that in of itself is a, uh, a feat. Absolutely. I mean, the game right now has enough decision points where, you know, you, you get to the end of the game and you say, okay, I lost that game. Was it because I, I shouldn't have broke through there? Is it because I, I shouldn't have infiltrated there? Maybe I should have infiltrated. Was I supposed to thwart that? Um, you know, should I held that feat a little bit longer? Did I choose the right mode for that relic? There's all kinds of things that you're saying to yourself at the end of the game. And, and for me, that's what I love in games. I want to be able to lose and say, analyze my gameplay and say, okay, can I pick up some percentage points by rationalizing my strategy a little bit better in the future? You know, I love talking to, you know, my opponent that I'm playing with and, you know, especially if I respect them and just say, hey, you know, when I made this decision, you know, do you think that was the wrong thing to do? And if so, why? Or if it was the right decision, why? Compare notes. And I love 
watching you know different people play games and explain ex- I love watching different people play games and explaining why they make the t- why they make the decisions that they make. Um, it's just very eye opening to see how people perceive um, you know the problems in front of them and and how they approach um, solving them. Excellent. Well, Danny, was there any other ideas or thoughts that you had about like where we got to um, there, like after that first play test and the beginning of the heroic feat journey? No, I think that pretty well encapsulates it. Um, you know, we're facing the player agency problem. And, and as you pointed out uh, in next week's story, uh, we will delve into how we solve that problem. Mm hmm. Excellent. Okay. Well, in that case, why don't we go ahead and uh, move off of today's topic and go ahead and get into something a little random. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm excited for this. So um, I have the distinct pleasure of putting together something random that you don't get to know about beforehand and uh, subjecting to subjecting you to it. Yes, you do. <laughs> I have no idea why I agreed to this, but, you know, we just wanted to make sure the podcast was spicy. So go ahead, Mr. Mr. Chef, why don't you go ahead and add that spice to our lives? Absolutely. Very, very, very happy to do so. So for this week's Something Random, uh, I'd like to play a little game of Would You Rather? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite game to play, and uh, anyone who's known me for any period of time hates playing it with me. <laughs> yes, I, I, I am very, I'm very scared right now. Number one. So there's three of these. So okay. Oh, phew. Uh, well, yeah, three of them. But like, how many sub questions are you going to ask per one? You know, is number one part A, part B. Well, Go so ahead. this. So, okay, so here's how it will work. I'll read the basic premise with any sort of clarifying information that I think is germane at the beginning, and then yeah. you can ask any questions you want, and I'll, I'll give you whatever answers I have. Okay. All right. Number one, would you rather be trapped in a pit of snakes with Indiana Jones and get bit by at least one snake or be abducted and experimented on by aliens? Assume you survive both encounters and are equally maimed in a non-inconsequential way. That's an interesting question because we have a couple of factors here. In one scenario, I get to meet Indiana Jones. Yeah. Pretty cool. And in the other scenario, we get to meet aliens. Cobra. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm not excited to meet the snakes. I'm just, <laughs> just going to throw that out there. That's not that's not a bonus. But a meeting aliens could be a bonus. I mean, as uh, I'm not a ufologist myself, but I definitely am a big fan of the, the last podcast on the left. And I have a, at least a passing interest in aliens. So, uh, OK, there's a factor here I have to acknowledge. OK. Rarely do people get abducted by aliens and get to have a normal life afterwards. Yes. Assuming I get to come back and, you know, it's like you tell a story, you tell a story, you can tell a story about your time with the snakes. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's just a story you tell. You tell a story about being abducted by aliens and right. that's the only story you get to tell for the rest of your life. I think that that's actually going to be the deciding factor, even though I would really love to know that we're not alone in this world and I'm okay being experimented on because... Probing doesn't scare me, you know, that much. Right. Uh, it's, I wouldn't be looking forward to being probed, but I could, I could, I could deal with it. At the end of the day, okay, I would rather be able to tell the snake story than have to live the rest of my life as the abductee. 
Okay, okay. So you would rather be maimed by snakes than by aliens. Is that? I guess so. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes, I All would right. rather be maimed by snakes than aliens. Plus, I would I would also enter a pantheon of humans who have a mortal enemy. So the snake is the like one of the three mortal enemies of humans at a primal level, and I think like I would I would be another link in the chain of our uh, great rivalry with the snake. Okay, number two. You ready for number okay. two? Uh, you... Yeah. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Would you mm -hmm. rather always have a piece of gum in your mouth, including during sleep and intimacy, or trip and fall at least three times? <laughs> <laughs> or trip and fall at least three times a day, uh, but you can assume you only break uh, a bone once a year. I, for a second, I thought that I had this one in the bag because I was about to answer gum. But then I remember that if I chew gum long enough, and especially right now, I, I'm actually in the braces gang right now, guys. Braces yeah. gang, what's up? What's up? What's up? <laughs> but... Aside from the, the braces, you know, having little wires that stick out and tear up the inside of my gums, uh, the cheek, the cheeks uh, portion of my gums, uh, even when I don't have those, if I chew gum long enough, I, I start to chafe the inside of my mouth. And so, Your yeah, mouth it, yeah, the inside of my mouth, I, I think it might be the direction that my teeth are, cha are, are facing. I always say, like, I have a bigger, like, I have a weird bite for my, for my, um, for my mouth size. So like I have to be very careful not to bite my tongue often and the same with my gum. So basically if I were to chew gum all the time and yeah. have to chew gum all the time, my mouth would be just open wounds and sores after like a few weeks and they would never get a chance to heal. And so while you think it might sound crazy, I'll take us one broken bone a year that I can heal. And I assume like often that's just going to be a finger or maybe a toe you know, uh, and also if I am, if, if you fall three times a day for the rest of your life, you're going to get really good at falling and you're going to make it, uh, you're going to be able to chaplain the hell out of that. I'm going to be just the funniest faller after three months of falling every day, three, you know, three times a day. You'll just be I'll an be, expert faller. You're just going to be the best yeah, faller of all time. I'll, I'll, I'll be, yes. If you fell three times a day guaranteed, you're going to become an expert at it, especially if you're still young like me. I mean, yeah, in, a, in like 20 years, that would be like a death sentence. But I still have a chance, you know, to, to make it look fun. And whether I fall in a way that is like the, you know, the least injury-prone way of falling or I go for it and put on a show for the people around me, it's still going to be, I think, better for me overall. It'll be funner for me overall than having to ha always have gum in my mouth and have to think about how I have to deal with that and the the just the chafing. So that's that's the answer to my question there. Um, I, I've th never I think wanted you've got to be, be the uh, gypsy later gypsy lady from Thinner more. <laughs> Faller. <laughs> I really wish I could grant that at this particular moment. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, you ready for number three, the last one? Yes, I think so. Would Shoot you rather? Me. Would you rather have to eat the entire contents of an all-you-can-eat Chinese buffet, or okay. be on naked and afraid without the possibility of leaving early with? <laughs> uh. <laughs> my man, my brother, I, th th you could have said, you could have just been like, would you want to go out for drinks with <laughs> or eat the entirety of a Chinese buffet? And I would have answered that I would eat the entirety of a Chinese buffet. And just for the record, 
I don't like half of what's on a Chinese buffet. It's not food that I particularly enjoy. There's half that I love and adore. That's why it's a buffet. You know, there's like, you know, one third of it or one fourth of it is like top tier S tier food. And then there's another fourth of it that is like, I can definitely fill my plate with that. And then there's another fourth that's like, maybe if I'm adventurous. And then one last fourth that's like, never. And I would eat all of it. There's not a ne- this. This is not a never situation. I would eat all of it in order to avoid uh, spending that extended period of time with. I wouldn't, like I said, I wouldn't necessarily even want to. You know, I'm actually worried. Uh, if this gets posted, there's a chance he'll watch this. Well, I'm sure he will. But I mean, what is that going to do? Increase the number of times he. Three or four. <laughs> yeah. You, okay. Good point there. Well, he is quite litigious. <laughs> I wouldn't say li- he's, he's he's frustrating. My girl, my girlfriend's quite litigious. I, I say this from the bottom of my heart. We're and I find your stories and your predicaments to be very entertaining. I am not going to just actively go out with you. I, I you're you're just you're it's too. The chances of me getting shot because I was with you are too high. I have to say. So just just keep that in mind. If, All if, right, if Dan is watching. I hope he puts in the comments whether he would want to be on Naked and Afraid with you, or eat I, from the Chinese buffet. All of the contents of it. I I think he wouldn't want to do Naked and Afraid with me because that be a it would be a little, yeah, you know, it, it'd be crossing a, a boundary that he's has some uh, he's a little uptight about. Let's just say that. Gotcha, gotcha. I if if you gave me the option now, if the option was like get in the room, get in a room naked with for thirty seconds. And, and let him, you know, absorb my body and criticize me for it for the rest of my time with Yeah. I might have taken that. Okay. But it was the, but they can afraid. Like, what, what are they together for, like, three weeks? And, uh, prob- and problem solving the entire time? I mean, it's, it's definitely, like, close to two weeks. Um, okay. And, and I, I don't think either of you would have particularly high survival ratings. So... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, where's where's the lie? You're not, you're not wrong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. You've got that adventure persona, but there there might be some adventure skills that still need a little work. Let's just face it. I'm a glamper at the end of the day. Like, yeah, I, absolutely. If I were, you know, I, I would go out and do something fun as long as I knew I was coming home, going go to a, a nice, cool and or warm place and uh, getting some cocoa. Yeah, cocoa. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, right, well, that's what I got this week. I think I have to up my, my game next next time we do this. Uh, I'm glad you started with the kitty gloves this week. Because yeah. uh, I know, like, I have a feeling if you could ask the right question, that could be, like, half of the podcast could just me, be me reasoning out the, uh, a question. But those were all pretty cut and dry for me. Yeah. Was, mm-hmm. I'll have to up it. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, that's 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 what I've got this week for our uh, something random uh uh, portion of the podcast and mm-hmm. um, yeah so yeah so I guess I should uh, pick it up from here and say fortune seekers thank you so much for joining us for the X seekers of fortune official podcast we'd like to invite you to join us on social media uh, t- on TikTok we are Megamoth Studios on Instagram we are at X underscore seekers underscore of underscore fortune it should come up after like the first underscore 
And then you can also sign up for our beta. We're going to be launching a closed beta through Tabletopia in the coming weeks. If you go to megamothstudios.com, there's going to be a tab up in the uh, in the upper bar of the site for you to fill out a little form and get uh, early access to play X Seekers of Fortune uh, through the beta. Danny, is there anything else you wanted to add to that, or was that basically... No, uh, guys, please go to the website, sign up for the beta. Again, it's www.megamothstudios.com backslash join-the-beta, or as Joel said, you can... Go to the website and look at the drop-down menu, and it's just join the beta. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know that you heard about it on the podcast. Uh, we'd love to know that someone out there is listening to this other than But, hey, you got a T-shirt coming your way. Don't worry about it, buddy. You are, yeah. you are, <laughs> you're definitely getting a T-shirt. Hey, Danny, don't we have some upcoming events as well? All right, guys. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We've got some exciting events coming up. So, first off. If you are in the Oklahoma City area, specifically, if you are in Norman, Oklahoma, on July 1st, from 12 noon to 8 p.m., we will be hosting a early access pre-release demo at 405 Brewing. And you can learn more about that uh, on our link tree uh, or on Facebook to sign up. There's an Eventbrite uh, sign up for it. We would love for you to come out, play, if you come out. And you are a challenger, meaning that you do play the game with us. We will provide you with your first pour of beer free, courtesy of Mega Moth Studios, provided that you are 21 years or older and or you are in a in a position to drink responsibly. So, uh, yeah, come out and see us. Again, that's July 1st uh, from 12 uh, p.m. to 8 p.m at 405 Brewing, and there's more information to be found on our link tree on TikTok. Uh, you can find a link to the Eventbrite site and also uh, via our Facebook, uh, which is just X Seekers of Fortune. And then secondarily, we have a, a, a event coming up in the Houston area in Richmond, Texas at Uncanny, at Uncanny Comics and Games. Um, that is a, a, a very exciting event. Uh, we, we met uh, Ender uh, at Comic Palooza, and uh, he asked us to come down and demo the game at his store, and we couldn't be more excited to take him up on that offer. Uh, so thank you, Ender. We're, we're excited to come see you, and that is going to be on July 18th. That's a Tuesday at Uncanny Games and Comics in Richmond, Texas, and we are going to be there from noon to 8 p.m. as well. Uh, we'll be there all day. Come out at any point during the day, say hi, and hang out with us. We'd love to meet you. We'd love to talk about the game and your and what other games you, you love to play. You know, we just wanna we just wanna hang out with some some cool people. So please come say hi. Again, that is July 18th. That's a Tuesday at Uncanny Comics and Games or Games and Comics. I apologize if I got that order wrong. In Yes. Thanks, Danny. And I am looking forward to all of those events coming up, um, especially the 405 Brewing, because I haven't had any of the 405 beers myself, and they sound delicious. Oh, I'm so, so excited for 405 beer. I've, I've seen yeah. so much of it on, on the on the internets, and uh, they seem like a lot of fun. If I was in, in Norman, I'd be at 405 all the time. I, I think that that is... That should be the official hangout spot of, of Norman, Oklahoma. If, if their social media is any indication of how cool those guys are and gals, uh, yeah, I, 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 would, I would run, oh, yeah. not walk, run to 405 Brewing today. 
Excellent. Yeah, it's it's good. We're definitely going to find some treasure out there. And I hope you folks at home find some treasure of your own. See you next time, Treasure Seekers, for the making of X Seekers of Fortune Part 2, Heroic Feats. Later, guys. Bye.